the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Friend, Jesus says without apology that I am the light of the world, right? How does Christ shine? Christ shines when His people take the Word of God through the Holy Spirit and the glory of Christ shines in the believer's life and it shines through the church. That's Pastor Michael Oxentenko and this is Reaching Your Heart. Today's Reaching Your Heart is entitled, Worship is Evangelism. And we hope that you enjoy it. You can find it online at reachingyourheart.com. Here at Reaching Your Heart, we believe that God answers prayer. If you need prayer, you can call us at any time, 24-7. Here's the phone number, 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Here now is Pastor Michael Oxentenka with the conclusion to... Worship is evangelism. Today's Reaching Your Heart. A lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So God's people, two by two, are to share the word of God, which is a light to the world. The two witnesses represent the evangelistic proclamation of the Word of God in Christian community and worship throughout the centuries to the end of time. And so we cannot rescript what God has designed to be so in the Christian church. Why? Because worship is evangelism two, number two. In the book of Revelation, proper worship is identified by clearly discernible characteristics. It's described by God through the movement of the book. I went from left to right this week examining worship in the book of Revelation. Let's look at the evidences in the flow of the book for what worship is. Number one, I have six characteristics I was able to analyze. We start at the very beginning of the book where worship is introduced after a rebuke. So where it's really introduced in chapter 4. Proper worship in the book of Revelation begins with reverence and awe. As we puny creatures, and heaven is in that mix too, as they recognize that God is the eternal living creator. Friend, God is infinite in time and space. We don't know how to describe Him. And He is the creator of the universe, and that means us too. And that fact alone should bring us to our knees in holy awe as we come into His presence. We should have a sense of the grandeur and power of God. Now, if God is only your buddy-buddy, you've missed part of it here. God is God. Revelation 4, 9, 11. Now, here's a description of what happens in heaven as they are focusing on God. And whenever the living creatures give glory. Now, these four living creatures look like an ox, a lion, an eagle, and a man. And they are swift and they have eyes all around them. They're terrific Beings and that they are majestic and powerful. Whenever these mighty beings give glory and honor and thanks to Him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever. Verse 10. The 24 elders. Now who are they? These are resurrected people who were taken to heaven by Christ. They are recorded as going to heaven in Ephesians 4. And what do they do? They fall down before Him who is seated on the throne and they worship Him who lives forever and ever. There is a small sample of humanity that was raised at Christ's resurrection who are there in heaven worshiping God. They cast their crowns before the throne, singing, 
Worthy art thou, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou didst create all things, and by thy will they existed and were created. So awe, wonder, music, it comes together as we move through the worship cycle of Revelation. So as soon as you encounter God's power, His eternal nature and majesty, His awe and wonder bring you to your knees with awe and wonder with a healthy measure of fear. And some people say, well, Pastor Mike, we shouldn't be afraid of God. Well, in the wrong way. But if we don't respect who God is, we don't have a sense of who God is, we're not worshiping anything. And so we find that here. But if it's God's power and majesty, if that's all there is to God... You hear me? Then you will be repelled by God or you will stay on your knees in fear and you'll never know God. So that's there, but that's not all there is. The book of Revelation does not leave you there with God with a paralyzing kind of fear because of His majesty and awe. In the book of Revelation, the Lamb appears because worship can't go any further in Revelation 4 beyond power and majesty unless there is a moral quality to God that is beautiful, that breaks the heart and draws it close to God in spite of His power and majesty. Friend, it's not good enough to worship God only because He has all of the power in the universe. If that's all, then sooner or later you'll stop worshiping God. God must be a personal God with a moral character that is beautiful to be worshipped at the deepest level or it won't work. So there's a book with seven seals in Revelation 5 and the mystery of God who cannot be understood lies locked in that book of seven seals. Worship has come to a halt and an end in Revelation 4 because they can't get beyond the power business. And suddenly a lamb appears and heaven is crying, who can open the book with seven seals? And a lamb is found worthy to open the book with seven seals. And thus the resurrected Christ, having been wounded at the cross, appears in the courtroom in the majestic center of the universe. And he takes the book from the right hand of the one who sits upon the throne and he unlocks who God is. Because he was a lamb that was slain, he's able to show us the God who is beautiful in his moral character of love and mercy for his creatures. And when the lamb shows up, the lamb has authority because of his moral victory to open up this book. Now here are the credentials of the lamb that transforms heaven's worship focus from power and majesty, not denying it, but moves it on to God's grace and mercy through the moral victory of the lamb. Revelation 5 verse 8. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and with golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. You see, they got beyond power and majesty and they found something new that shaped their worship. They sang a new song saying, Worthy art thou to take the scroll and to open its seals. Why? Now here's the key point. For thou wast slain. And by thy blood didst ransom men for God from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And hast made them a kingdom and priest to our God and they shall reign on earth. You see, here is the second characteristic of proper worship. We cannot gather as Christians and worship God right without praising God in church for the cross of Jesus Christ. Did you hear me? We hear voices today that want to diminish the fact that Christ ransomed us by His blood. Worship is to praise God for the cross of Christ. The apostolic gospel is that which saves the universe from that dead worship of power and awe that can move no deeper. When they saw the cross, they were moved to the new song. Friend, 
Worship is moral and redemptive because of the love of God in Jesus at the cross. If you can't latch on to that fact that Jesus died for your sins, as the Bible clearly teaches, and the sins of other people too, because He loves everyone, as a substitute on the cross of Calvary. That's what it's saying here. Why? Because we're ugly in heart. Because we have offended God. But God is a loving God more than He is a just God. And He poured His justice on Himself to save us from the future we all deserve. There's nothing arbitrary about this. It's an act of love on God's part. And if you can't embrace with your heart the truth that Jesus' death is a beautiful thing, and that Christ taking your place and shedding His blood is a beautiful thing, on the cross, friend, you can't worship God right. The heavenly universe couldn't worship God anymore unless they moved into that new experience. The victory of the cross is why heaven sang a new song after countless ages in which the song was kind of the same, a song about power and majesty and nothing more. And we are told that a contemplation, we are told by a precious dear lady with the prophetic gift that a contemplation of the cross of Christ is the only thing that keeps angels from sinning against God. Angel perfection, she says, was not enough to keep them from falling away from God. Angels worshiped the Lamb who was slain based on Revelation chapter 5. In Revelation 5, they worshiped God with praise and joy that ends the tears of a closed book of mystery in which the moral character of God was unknown to the universe until the cross of Christ. So proper worship moves from awe and reverence to praise and joy because the Lamb has taken the power of God and has wrapped it around His moral beauty of love and He suffered on the cross to show us the power and love of God as one. Justice and mercy kiss. Friend, when heavenly beings encounter the power of God as our Creator and the moral beauty of God in Jesus as our Savior, they say and they shout, Amen. Have you ever read that in the book of Revelation? You know, it's a good thing to say and shout a hearty amen in church at times because that's exactly what they're doing in the heavenly temple. Turn to Revelation 5, 14. And the four living creatures said what? Amen. And then what do they do? They stay in their chairs. They fell down and worshiped. That's more dramatic than kneeling at your chair. Imagine falling down and worshiping. Revelation 7, 11, they do the same thing. Worship here is unscripted at points in the heavenly worship cycle. There is order, but there are unscripted and spontaneous moments because of the deep impact of the truth of the Lamb on the heart that is moved by the Holy Spirit to recognize that God can save. And so there's a danger in worship. It's on each side. It's being chaotic, which heaven is not. Heaven is perfect order. On the other side, there's a danger in not allowing the Holy Spirit to do what He needs to do so that those spontaneous moments of change and affirmation can occur in the body. Revelation 7, verse 11. And the angels stood around the throne, around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne, and they worshiped God, saying, Amen. Now let's get some practice here. How well do you think angels say Amen. Now, the four living creatures and the angels of heaven were doing the same thing. I mean, what does heaven feel like when they don't hear the affirmations of God in the church? You see, it's not heavenly worship if we don't do it. And all the angels of God, verse 11, stood around 
the throne round the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and they worshiped God saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Notice how they mix the moral qualities of God with His power and majesty and a new song is taken over heaven. In the book of Revelation, there are principles of worship, but there is no universal form of worship. Different cultures will apply it different ways. Worship that surrenders to rote form is a form of compulsion in the end. God has warned us that in the last days that there will be many people promoting a form of religion that has no power in their actions to save and transform lives. That's because they put the Word of God out of their worship experience. As a rule, when men and women surrender to religious rigidity and form in their worship experience, the Scripture indicates they deny the power of true religion. And the moral fruit of their lives bears witness to this fact that they are bereft of the Holy Spirit. People who love God sincerely and honestly worship Him right. They abhor evil in their personal lives in the church. Evil actions, evil attitudes are incompatible with proper worship. And because they are authentic in their moral and spiritual relationship to God, they are authentic in their worship to Him in church. They don't partake in fake worship with dead forms that denies the power of true and living religion. Now, I'm going to say something. I've noticed fake worship that's also very active, where they say, well, you know, da, 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 and people are saying and doing things that really isn't coming from their heart. It's being motivated by pressure or by group dynamic. We want it to come from God and together in unity and love and to agree with the Scriptures, don't we? Now, 2 Timothy 3, verse 1, But understand this, in the last days there will come times of stress. That's like today. For men will be lovers of self. What does that mean? Narcissists. Lovers of money. Greedy. Proud. Arrogant. Abusive. Sounds like politicians today. Disobedient to their parents. Ungrateful. Unholy. Inhuman. Implacable. Slanderers. Profligates. Fierce. Haters of God. Treacherous. Reckless. Swollen. And conceit. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And then he says this. Holding the form of religion but denying the power of it. And what is Paul's admonition through the Holy Spirit? Avoid such people. That's good advice. The third characteristic of worship in the book of Revelation is judgment. True worship is a time for believers to assess their moral character in light of the Word and to get the life right with God. That is why the Bible is so important in Holy Spirit-filled worship. Look at Revelation 11 verse 1. Now look at Revelation 14 6. Then I was given a measuring rod like a staff and I was told... Rise up and measure, and that's a synonym for judgment, the temple of God, the altar, and those who worship there. So worship and judgment are shared themes. Revelation 14, 6. Then I saw another angel flying in mid-heaven with an everlasting gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on the earth, every nation, tribe, and tongue, and people. And he said with a loud voice, Fear God and give Him glory, for the hour of His judgment has come. Worship Him who made heaven and earth, the sea, and the fountains of water. Again, judgment and worship, the hour they coalesce here. So in a sense, the call to worship God is a call to God's judgment hour against sin. The worship hour is a judgment hour. Why? The text says, fear God and give Him glory. The fear of the Lord means to love Him. For the hour of His judgment has come. Worship Him in heaven and earth. When you come to church for the worship hour, holy judgment power is in place because the truth of the Word of God calls us to accountability to God. It's not about what you want. It's what you need to hear that occurs at worship. 
Men and women who come to church will make decisions either for or against Christ. They will either accept the Word of God or reject it. And those decisions will help to determine their final fate in the judgment day. So worship is huge here. Church is a serious business because what we hear and what we do in the proclamation of the Word has future ramifications for our soul. John 5, 25, Christ says, Truly, truly, I say to you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. That can happen in the resurrection. It can happen in church. Those who respond to the everlasting gospel, to the Word of God, at the worship hour, who hear the Word, who appreciate the cross, who seize the admonitions of God through the Word, they will hear the voice of Jesus Christ in the resurrection at the end of the age. Why? Because worship is judgment. The fourth characteristic of worship in the book of Revelation is invitation. And it's very hard worship. At its very heart, at its very heart worship is evangelism too. Because worship is an invitation to come to God and to worship God. To worship, you must come to God. And to come to God, you must heed an invitation and obey a call that is given from God. That is why worship is evangelism too. Number two, Revelation 15, 4. Who shall not fear and glorify thy name, O Lord? God's name, God's law, same thing in Scripture. For thou alone art holy. All nations shall come and worship thee. Why? For thy judgments have been revealed. When men and women come to God, and they see Him as He is, then that honest soul on his or her knees is released by God's grace to be happy and forgiven, to have joy in their life. The fifth characteristic of true worship in the book of Revelation is defined as a divine gathering of praise where heaven and earth meet as one family to express a common joy. Number five, praise and joy. Huge focus in the heavenly worship. Revelation 19.4 now. And the 24 elders... And the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God who was seated on the throne. And what were they saying again? Amen. But now they add another word to amen. What is it? I'm reading here in the Bible. They say amen and hallelujah. Okay? Now when we wrap that response around the truth, it's authentic. Don't we have a reason to say that in church? If we believe that Christ died for our sins, He was raised for our justification? Absolutely. The last reference to worship in the book of Revelation is a clear command. When we come to church, it's all so easy to get caught up in a form of personality worship. Well, that church over there has a better preacher than this church over here. You know, to look at the delivery of the preacher or the quality of the music or on any given day or to focus on how perfect or not the service itself is, is to miss the point. When you are focused on the messenger instead of God and the message, you miss them. And you miss that Jesus is at the heart of worship. It is easy to worship the man, the music, and the messenger. Am I right? The angel warned John to not do that. Revelation 22, 8 and 9. Here's how the book ends. Verse 9 is the last mention of worship in the book of Revelation. I, John, am him who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and your brethren, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. So here we have the word of God, which is central in proper Christian worship. Then he says, worship God. 
Those who worship God will obey God. They will not worship men or angels or a prophet or saints or a preacher. They'll worship God. They will not worship the beast power at the end of time and receive the mark of the beast when worship is commanded. They will not worship with a lie that is a dead form and a formal kind of religion. So let's review the main points of worship that we have discovered this morning in the book of Revelation. Number one, true worshipers will worship God with reverence and awe because God is the creator and sustainer of life. Now, when we come into the sanctuary, as the songs begin to occur, it's time to stop talking in the sanctuary. Are you with me? It's time to stop talking. You go outside if you want to talk. But when the songs of gathering occur, the conversations stop. Why? Because God is the creator and sustainer of all life. All right, number two, true worshipers will praise God for the cross of Christ and honor His sacrifice there for their sins as the Lamb of God. You know, we start here with praise. So it's time when you come in, you make yourself a part of the songs. Now, we need some changes here. We need to have the song leader down there, not up here probably. It's hard logistically. But we need to have more of an interactive song service, and we're committed to trying to figure out a pathway there. Number three, true worshipers in worshiping God will submit to God's judgment in their life because true worship is obedience to the Word of God. And you can't do that if you're not really committed to the body of Christ. If you're not committed to the body, how on earth will the Word of God have any force in the church for you? So true worshipers submit to God's judgment. Number four, true worshipers will heed the call and worship in the invitation. That's why at times we make calls in the worship service for people to accept Christ. But every worship experience is an invitation to worship, to come to know God, and to be a member of His people. Number five, the heart that comes to God and surrenders to the truth will praise God with joy for the gift of Jesus. You know, worship moves from awe and grandeur to joy. True worship of God is spontaneous and honest at points within the movement of worship because true worship is true to God, unlike dead forms that displease Him. And finally, number six, true worshipers will never forget that church is not about getting what you want from worship. That's just not it. True worship is about God. It is giving to God what He deserves in worship. That's why we don't need to be sloppy in our worship service. If you're called to have a worship element at RHI, you need to thoughtfully plan about it. You know, it's not a place for you to go on and on and on with your own personal agenda. You are to edify the body and honor God. It's not about getting out a little early so you can get on to some social event. You know, we try to stay on time. We need to hold ourselves, but there'll be times when it goes over. It's not about the sermon itself, whether it's a home run sermon or not. True worship is about giving back to God what God deserves because God and Jesus are worthy of the gift of our worship. So worship will never be measured by anything less than obedience to God if it is true worship. So our lives need to match what we do here on Sabbath mornings. And because it is an invitation to come to God, true worship is evangelism too. So we won't shake in our shoes and get nervous when people are called to Christ in the worship service. That's what's happening in the heavenly worship. There's a call. In the subject of worship, the book of Revelation ends with a very clear command. And we will end with this command. Worship God. Father God. Awesome in majesty. Power. Fearful fire God. The fire is love. And we see that the cross, the glory, 
at the cross. Father, may we be drawn to you and obey you and worship you by what we do and say and love you and love the church and thereby prove that we've heard the call and received the invitation. Bless your people. Bless the church that we will see in the future that will heed the call as we leave this place to never come back and start the adventure in that new place that you have for us. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're a regular listener to this broadcast or if you've just tuned in for the first time and have been inspired by this sermon and you'd like to partner with us to help keep these radio broadcasts on the air, you can simply call us at 1-888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-HOPE, day or night, 24-7. One of our team is available to assist you right now. We believe God is moving across the globe, touching lives and reaching hearts. And you are helping make this a reality with your gift of any amount. These are urgent times and God has an urgent message. God's message in Revelation is one of warning and encouragement. And it's a personal appeal to all of mankind. It is his final message before sweeping changes occur across the globe. Events that will take place just prior to Christ's second coming. You see, God doesn't want his church to be surprised by the events that will take place. He wants his church ready for his return. We have a book titled God's Last Altar Call that will encourage you and help you understand what events must take place as found in the book of Revelation. We'll send you this book for a donation of any amount and pray that you will be encouraged to know that you can discern the events that must take place prior to his second coming. Please call at any time, 24-7-888-244-HOPE. And with a donation of any amount, we'll send the book right out to you entitled God's Last Altar Call. Join us again next time for another edition of Reaching Your Heart. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.